Hey, it's Crystal McFadden, host of the Crystal Conversations podcast. Before the intro starts, I just wanted to say hello. I am so excited you are listening in on season two. We are really honing in on the focus of resiliency as it relates to mental health. These are professionals, people with their own personal journey. The whole goal is to just pour into you with the education, knowledge, and wisdom that they have to share for your benefit. So grab your notebook, grab a pen, and please don't forget to invite a friend to the conversation. I'm glad you're here, and I can't wait to see you again. Take care. Hi there. Welcome to the Crystal Conversations podcast. My name is Crystal McFadden, and I am welcoming you to this place where conversations of growth and resiliency, faith and falling meet your day-to-day challenges with authentic stories of the struggle, each equipping and encouraging you to own the value of your journey. Thank you for joining this Crystal Conversation. Hello, listeners. I am so excited you've joined me today and our special guest. As you know, I always like to reflect on how it is this guest has come across my path and impacted my own personal life so that I can really impress upon your heart the reason why I've chose them to take up your ear space today. And so today's guest has a special place in my life because he came across my path when I was being completely shifted out of my comfort zone. I was called into a role that I knew God was shaking up the dust from my normal clinical routine And it wasn't a mental health role. However, I came across him as someone who was involved in the community, connected with others, and really wanted to see the best interest of those he was called to impact. And so for me to bring him into your space, I know that he has your best interest in mind, whether it's education, whether it's connection, but surely just some really great stories and some empathy for the struggle you're going through. It is my honor and privilege to introduce Lee Wagner to you. Hi, Crystal. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. I I remember our first meeting in my office at the old office there at the Vet Center in White Oak. I remember when you came in and we chatted and and I remember you at that time talking about where you're at and transitioning to and from. And uh, that was probably four years ago, maybe almost five years ago. So, yeah, it, it was such a bizarre place for me because the vet center is one of those resources that was a mental health resource. As a veteran, I didn't even know existed. And so I was both amazed at the space you were in and the services that were there, but also the opportunity to see how much you knew and I had no idea that it even existed in terms of resources. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's why I had that job and, and still in you know, certain capacity continue to do that type of work, resource sharing. So yeah, I, I, I was thinking about that this morning, our conversation that day. So uh, cool. It's been, it's been a pleasure to stay connected to you and to see you doing, uh, continue to do great things in your own way. It's really nice. I appreciate that. So tell our listeners a little bit about Lee, the person, your family, your background, not necessarily what you do, but who you are. 
there, uh, which I'm a big fan of. A lot of people don't know this. Uh, I'm a big existentialist. I like to read a lot of philosophy, uh, Eastern and Western. And um, uh, and yeah, it, the first thing that comes to mind, uh, you know, I always want to spill the secrets of who I am. Uh, I'm also a big metalhead. I'm really into heavy metal. Uh, those are two things that most people don't know about me, but everyone listening now will. Um, but I grew up in Western Pennsylvania. Um, uh, I've been married twice, and, and my second marriage now is with a, a wonderful woman named Ariana, who is an Army veteran. I'm a Marine Corps veteran. And um, uh, I have three stepchildren, 16, 14, and 6. And then uh, a little boy who will be five months old here at the end of the week. Uh, so it's a, a nice, crazy household here in Murraysville, PA, with uh, four kids, two dogs, two cats, two working adults. Um, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. So, you know, uh, we enjoy getting outside. We enjoy staying active. Uh, took the kids to the Children's Museum over the weekend. Really just tried to do our best to, to show them a, a good life and, and uh, you know, try to raise good humans. And, uh, you know, my family's all from this area. I've traveled around while I was in the military. And, uh, you know, I had a stint in corporate world for a while after the, the military, but I've been, you know, working with veterans and uh, specifically in the mental health capacity uh, for about six, seven years now. So, um, yeah, other than that, I have one hobby that's working out. Other <laughs> and then uh, so personal life is always engaged with something around veterans. Uh, and then I work at University of Pittsburgh uh, where I do research on veteran suicide. So, um, that's our, our life, and, and Ariana works for Pitt as well uh, in the, the Office of Military and Veteran Services as a director, and she's very involved in the community and our veteran space too, so it's it's our lives, and you know, when I got out of the Marine Corps in 2003, I never expected that uh, my life would in, encompass you know, almost 100% veterans, um, and that, that was just part of, part of the journey and, and how I continue to serve that community and as you know, most veterans, when they discharge, still want to serve their community. So I'm very grateful to have found my path as you have. And um, yeah, that's a little bit about me, I guess. <laughs> I was sort of wondering because there's so many balances that I notice about the way that you approach life, where the topic of focus when you serve others is meeting them in their struggle. And then there's also this level of peace. And like you said, we went to the children's museum and we wanna teach them and pour into them like living, living a life. You really find value in taking every opportunity that you can to grow and to, to learn because of this knowledge of what it could look like or where, what path, how easily the path could turn. Is that intentional or does it just happen to balance itself out? Just as you're, you're asking the question there, like it really was intentional. I mean, I, and after, you know, what's really shaped my life and is, you know, my time in the military as with many veterans uh, and, a, and a larger component of that is, you know, the, the combat tour to Iraq in, in 2003. And really, when I came, you know, I used to, I say this all the time, well, I didn't see as much combat as somebody else. It wasn't that bad for me and blah, blah, blah. And I said that for 12 years after mm -hmm. uh, the Marines. And it was really uh, working in the veteran space, 
recommending that other veterans seek mental health <laughs> that I said, hey, maybe I should do this myself. And, um, and during that, up until that time too, I also spent about seven years studying uh, these different Eastern cultures, Buddhism, meditation, um, yoga, physical fitness, uh, and, and really taking the time in it and kind of turning my attention towards processing the, that trauma and eventually what I would learn to be called moral injury uh, is really what shaped that. So you know, those all things together, that's when I kind of intentionally look back at you know, what I learned, the skills in, in meditation and, and balancing life that I said, okay, here's how to have this balance. And, you know, to, to help raise three kids and one of my own and this whole household 20 years ago, I, I wouldn't have been able to do it, Crystal. I mean, it, my anxiety was, uh, was through the roof. And, uh, you, know, you know, I had to intentionally sit down and, and say, this is, I have to have balance in my life. I have to take care of myself uh, before I can do anything for anybody else. And, um, you know, it's, uh, I, we, Ariana and I joke around, she's obviously married before, and like, oh, wish we would have met each other 20 years ago. We do, but who knows who we were? We were both so different uh, 20, or maybe internally or, you know, in our core, still the same people, but uh, it's definitely different in spaces in life. And, and our, our paths were meant to cross when they did. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's teaching the, the children in my life to, you can have emotions, you can be upset, but you're still going to take out the trash. You can still, you still have <laughs> responsibilities you know, uh, you, you're still going to be a good person. You still want to, um, you know, mind your manners, even when you're upset and, 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 and understand why that is. And not just because somebody said so, but you recognize in that moment that you, um, uh, you're having these feelings. So why are you? And what can we do to correct it? And maybe you just need to sit with them and, and let them pass and move on. Um, so that's something that uh, we're really, you, you said something right before at the beginning of that you asked me a question. Oh, meeting people where they're at. Yeah, I used, I, I used to say it all the time, meeting people where they're at. And I met uh, one of my philosophy teachers in grad school uh, as, a, as a monk and Buddhist monk. And he said, add in that moment. Meeting mm. people where they're at in that moment or in that space and time. So we really get not just be like, oh, you really understand like in that moment, that person is showing you a piece of them and, you know, and you're, you're honor, respect that. And then, you know, maybe they don't need your help. <laughs> maybe you're just crossing paths, and, but, and, but also being aware of maybe there's something more that you're not seeing and just by observing and being in their space, you uh, open uh, you open the pathways for that, uh, for a relationship or, or it doesn't have to be. I mean, I've, I've helped people get into life-changing therapy for their trauma and I've never talked to them again. That's, that's fine. I don't have to be somebody's best friend to, you know, see a pathway. And it's the same way for, for me, you know, uh, the most, uh, uh, my first counselor at the, the clinic I went to um, was profoundly impactful in my life. And I have no idea I can't remember his last name half the time. If I remember his face and I remember our conversations, uh, and, and I guess that's the point. I think those three words are tremendously powerful in the way that you really don't have to take on, not only are you meeting a person where they are, but you're not taking on all that they are. You're simply being present, whether they're crying, whether they're screaming for joy, 
whether they are completely numb in that moment, that exchange of presence, that exchange of hearing whatever it is they have to say or they don't want to say in that in that time really allows you to make the impact without having to carry it the rest of your like you're not taking responsibility you're not taking unnecessary weight that isn't yours in that unhealthy codependence type of way you're simply being present offering what you have in that moment and potentially providing those resources direction or connection that you can until otherwise noted (laughs) not taking it with you is is the hard part you know that's the when I started working at the vet center and really interacting with men and women who've experienced either combat trauma or military sexual trauma you know those first six months working there sent me back to therapy because it was just like why am I feeling these things that I felt you know years ago before I started therapy and and it was really because I was reliving a lot of my own trauma to help that person. And I had to find a way to not completely expose my wounds just for just to show someone else, hey, I've been there too. And it's really having a conversation around, yeah, yeah, I've been there, done that. And and sometimes I had to open up more than others, but it's you find that balance of having that conversation. Um, and that's you know, and uh, yeah, and just because I, I didn't experience the exact same trauma as someone else doesn't mean I can't help them out. And it doesn't mean like that my experiences aren't that important. That's, that's a big part of it, uh, you know, in dealing with teenagers here at home, really try to get them to understand, like, you need to love yourself and honor yourself and respect yourself first. Don't, you know, it's, don't worry about what the other kids say, which is, which is true. I mean, we've all been teenagers in high school, and it can be really hard. But you can't really love someone else or help someone else out to you. You love and respect yourself. And, and that was uh, you know, something I was never taught as a child. Maybe it's not in those exact words, but uh, definitely a good you know, family background and raised really well. But it was you know, how it was phrased to me in that no one talked about mental health. No one talked about, you know, you go to the doctor because your arm's falling off. <laughs> you, know, you don't go to the doctor because you're sad or you don't go to the doctor because you cry. And um, so that was a, is a big thing for me uh, to really understand that uh, you can, uh, you know, you can kind of walk that path uh, and, and with someone and not re-expose yourself every time, re-expose your trauma, excuse me, every time uh, just for the sake of supporting them. It really is important to remember and listeners, if, if you've realized that season two is one of those seasons, you better be taking notes or re-listening to a couple of times. This is one of those moments I want to hone in on because what we're talking about is the temptation of being drawn in to someone else's pain or someone else's struggle in the moment. And even if your entire desire is to help, the primary way to help is to know where your own boundaries are, where your own healing has reached and where where it is that you might have some work because there may be moments that yes, you can empathize with someone's pain or you can grieve with them and, and be there, but it may not require you to relive or 
recount the moments of your deepest hurt. It may be just their space and allowing them to have their line and you to have your healthy line, that's actually a sign of growth. And it's a place that doesn't come easily. And many of us were not taught growing up. And so as Lee sort of walks through and shares, oh, I hit a thing. I might need to go check on this. And why am I feeling this way? Don't beat yourself up if you feel more emotionally exhausted when you're out there helping. Just know it's an opportunity to, to dial in and ask yourself some questions and bring those alongside you who are either trained or really equipped with the ability to navigate that struggle. Yeah, and it's, you know, specific to veterans, and I'll get even more specific to male combat veterans there's a tendency to compare stories and there's also a tendency to think someone else's story is worse than yours. And it's, and it's same for all veterans is like, well, someone else needs it more. Someone else needs these services more than I do. What if they don't, <laughs> you know, yes. and I would really, I would, I stopped saying, well, that's not the case. And, you know, I give this little sales pitch and I change it to what if they're not, what if you are that person? And that would stop you in the tracks like, well, maybe it is. And, it, and so I've gotten better at getting veterans specifically into resources by spinning it around and saying, you know, look at this other person. Do you know anyone in your family that your life that has these issues? And well, yeah, blah, 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 you know, and, you know, that maybe, and then and spinning it back around to like to have them, you know, turn that mirror back towards them. Instead of saying, oh, I don't know anybody like that. And then just, well, what about you? Oh, well. Well, maybe. Yeah. Well, then and if, the, if the spouse is there, which in an outreach event, if the spouse is there, they're behind that veteran saying everything that they want that veteran to say to the supportive service. Um, and that can, get, that can get touchy there because you don't want to see be seen taking sides. But it does help the conversation when, <laughs> you know, you have a Vietnam vet and a wife of 40 years is standing behind them telling you, you know, so-and-so still has a sleep with their gun in the bed. So-and-so still has nightmares. And then in that moment, and Crystal, I've heard, I mean, I've seen some things in my life, but I've heard even worse. Yes. And that unflinching, when someone lobs that out there and that unwavering and unflinching of just accepting what they've said, and you, you're a counselor, you you do this every day. I mean, you get it. Like, I think that's, you know, it's not, it's not shaking. You know, it, you can't be shook by what someone's saying. You just have to kind of be there and allow them to share it because in that, that what, what's happening there is they feel safe. Yes. And they're saying, Hey, can you handle this? And they're going to test you layer by layer. Mm -hmm. They're going to give you a little bit and watch and professionals hear this mm -hmm. If they share something and it feels big to you, I promise you it's just the first layer. It, it is just that introduction of what the story is going to be about to see how well you can catch and hold it. And if you can catch and hold it, kind of like a game of dodgeball, you're not out. They'll stick around, like you get to stay in the game. Yeah. But if they wail it at you and they watch you choke up, they watch you feel the weight of just that small introduction within a couple of sessions they're going to be gone and that's, and that's the point as a professional 
you know, I'm not, you know, a licensed counselor, but, you know, as someone who refers others to resources, you know, if you do feel overwhelmed, that's the time to be like, this is really important to you. We need yes. to call, you know, it's a time for us to kind of take a pause and bring someone else in. And if we got into a lot of that in, in the counseling world, when it came into maybe more psychiatric care than just psychological care mm-hmm. or talk therapy, like maybe there's a dependence or a substance use issue here that kind of coincides with everything else. And then now we need to take a time out and pull in another entity. And that just takes experience of, uh, of, of knowing kind of what, you know, whatever your profession is, knowing the kind of ins and outs. But in that first moment, they, they, that's a great one, the dodgeball. You stand there and catch it, just to say, okay, I got it, this is okay. Because there's always that moment of eye contact. There's always that intense moment when that thing comes flying at you and you're like, whoosh. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes they want you to define it. I, I had this happen with a veteran, uh, a male veteran who disclosed military sexual trauma as the first person that this veteran disclosed it to. And they explained what happened. And I said, without wavering, back to them said, that is this. Mm. And they looked up and said, yes, it was. And that was an extremely powerful moment. And, and I got in my truck and drove home and cried. I mean, because I was yeah. holding it all back because, you know, here's this person, you know, reliving to a certain degree, the most traumatic moment of their life in a bad way uh, to you. And they're just, because they feel safe. And then we, that veteran got into supportive services, was doing well. The last I heard, it's been a few years, but, but that was a, you know, that, that stands out to me as like, here's a person who, who wanted someone else to say the words out loud. Yes. So they could agree with it and they could move forward because it had been holding them back for that stuck point. You know, as the counselors talk about being stuck for so long in it. So. And that point of agreement with another human is, as you said, even if you never see them again, there's that moment where someone says this and you say, yes. And now it feels like two people are carrying the weight you've carried by yourself this whole time. And there's three people, four people. Yes. Mm -hmm. I remember the first time that I had come home. I had to crawl back to PA because after I got out of serving, I got very sick for about 10 years. So my entire twenties was trips in and out of the hospital. And finally I was like, fine, I'll go back home. I'll go to my parents. And I was still trying to like fight for my independence, but there were moments of darkness. Um, Some was mental health. Some of it was malnutrition affecting my gut brain connection and those good, those happy chemicals that were just running out the window. And I remember the first time I had told my stepmom, you know what? I was driving and I remember telling her what road I was on and I, I thought about turning the wheel, riding off into the river and I smiled and it felt good. And I remember that moment and I, I told her and she kind of looked at me and her eyes got big. I'm like, I'm glad I didn't, but I think there's something wrong. And before then, no one had ever walked through the difference between suicidal ideation and an actual plan, nor was anyone equipped to like walk through this conversation with me to say, okay, so you had the car, you were in that moment, 
it sort of felt appealing. What do you do? And, and now I know that there's a way to walk through both as a friend and as a professional. And that's really kind of the space you're sitting in now. Am I correct? Yeah, exactly. I think, um, you know, I'm really, first of all, I'm really sorry you, you got to that point in your life. Uh, and I'm really glad that you, in that moment, you had the wherewithal to share and, and that, you know, that sharing led you down a path that uh, has led you here today. So I'm really grateful for that. You know, they never make light of those types of events in our lives because that's a, a moment you'll remember and uh, I'm really glad you're here <laughs> and, and didn't do that so um, yeah so the, the work so when I, I left you know veteran suicide better it, it's everywhere it's you know it's everywhere it's an industry so to speak yes and very much so <laughs> for good or you know some good some bad so when I as I mentioned I spent 12 years I didn't really want much to do with the military that started changing and probably 10 years ago, 2012, I started volunteering with like places like Team Red, White and Blue and uh, uh, special uh, veterans, uh, Olympics, uh, Paralympics, excuse me, and different places like that, just kind of dipped my toe back in the water, uh, reconnecting with some of the Marines I've served with. And then I, I just on happenstance applied for this position at Duquesne, which helped veterans transition to nursing and, and that really changed my career. Uh, and until even to there, and it was like, all right, veterans, you know, veterans take your lives. And that's, that's a bad thing and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, you know, it was, I was kind of just repeating the same talking points. And then uh, a friend of mine I served with, um, and I, I really didn't think this was, this was just, this friend's passing wasn't like, that wasn't like the call in me to like change my way. It was like, okay, this is, I had been learning and doing some, you know, work in the veterans suicide space, his passing. Uh, and then eventually a friend of mine from high school's pass, passing from suicide, both from one is believed to be suicide. Uh, and the other one was a very planned out suicide. And that was when I was like, I'm hundred percent into this is where I, I, my, you know, my path in life is, is really going. And so I've done suicide intervention training uh, through a couple of different programs. I've, I've, I've been involved in the community, uh, not just with veteran suicide, but also through Westmoreland County Suicide Prevention Task Force, um, really just getting the word out there, getting, breaking the stigma, helping people understand what to do if they're that person, uh, who has those ideations or plans, what can they do? And what can that, you know, or that family member or friend who's hearing it from someone else, what can they do? Um, so that has led me to the work I do now with, with University of Pittsburgh and their School of Pharmacy uh, in our, it's a, called Peru uh, Program Evaluation Research Unit and what we do. So there's lots of different, you know, grants and programs within there, this specifically, um, is a, is a grant that is connecting with 15 counties in Northwestern Pennsylvania and to implement uh, suicide intervention and um, you know, lethal means uh, reduction, uh, harm reduction uh, in those 15 counties through the CDC, through the state. Um, so it, it's just getting underway and that's my Navy term for you for today, Crystal. And I use it all <laughs> Appreciate. the time. Yeah, I use it all the time. And, and um, so yeah, so their goal essentially is to get in the community where veterans are living that maybe don't have access to the VA or don't go to the VA, but they're still going to community groups, they're still going to 
DFWs, legions, doctors, officers, dentists, uh, and how can we change train train those gatekeepers and those professionals how to identify you know veterans who might be at risk, and then from there um, track <laughs> what we're doing, uh, which I'd never done before in my previous roles. There more getting people into resources. You know, this is training other people to help veterans get into resources, and then you know, researching and, and tracking um, that implementation evaluation. So it's super exciting, and I and it's much different work than I'm I'm used to, but um, but it has allowed me to use all those skills that I've used and built and uh, been there, done that, and I'm the guy on the team who is, you know, have have had to do suicide interventions. I'm the one who is had to administer Narcan for someone who's overdosed. So I'm the one who has, you know, a very good friend of mine from high school took her own life, um, you know, a few years ago. And um, it's funny, like I was talking to other friends after I'd found she passed and, you know, I'm in the business of suicide intervention and they're telling me that her final couple weeks and I didn't have the heart to tell them at this time, but like, those are all red flags. Mm. Like cookie cutter you know, textbook flat red flags. And and someone, you know, one friend said, you know, did catch on and was very much like, hey, what's going on? Is everything okay? And um, so, you know, it is what it is now. And and, and there's been a few uh, friends in the military uh, that have passed from, from suicide, either overdose or firearms. So, um, so yeah, it, it's something that does, uh, you know, personally impact me um, but, uh, I think it's something that it's just, it's just sad. It's sad to think that someone can get to a point in their life that suicide is the, is the best off suicide. The thought yes. of suicide puts that smile on their face. And that's what in my soul makes me sad that I don't want anyone to feel that way. I don't want anyone of my kids to feel that way because it's just, you know, it's not what we're here for. We're here to love and live and flourish and, um, but there's reasons why people get to that space and you can talk for hours about that and theories and you know, psychological and you know, whatever. Um, and that's where I think the conversation around veteran suicide has gotten off track. Too many people in our society think they're a veteran, they're in Iraq. Ugh. They got some, they got the PTSD, you know, they got- Yeah, the like they're looking- stuff they're looking at almost stereotypical red flags rather than realistic um some of those things where you're like lack of interest isolation like removing valuables passing things on like there are some things that or just out of character types of statements in terms of hopelessness and feeling like the world the world is too much there's very grandiose Uh, generalizations Mm -hmm. that make the world and the circumstances so much bigger than the power of our mind and our voice and our steps, Mm -hmm. which what I heard you kind of share over the last half hour are some really powerful ways, not necessarily as intervention and not necessarily as harm reduction in the moment, like once someone's there, but if there's a tendency, if there is a, an event, a circumstance, or even a really difficult season, some of the ways that you shared that I noticed was the voracious reading 
learning about different ways to look at this world and sort of create that purpose and that that love for the moment and for life and the opportunities for purpose. Um, you mentioned volunteering, but within that volunteering was the power of connection. When we isolate, um, not only do mental health uh, issues such as depression, anxiety, and trauma symptoms, but also suicidal ideation, those increase in our isolation, which is significant during this period of time we live in and this era that we're navigating. Um, you also mentioned physical fitness, working out, and then practicing both working out in the sense of burning off steam where it's the cardio and maybe the weightlifting, but also the yoga, being able to embrace the in the moment mindful self-control so that those skills can apply. I mean, those are tools that we could have entire sessions on and we will in this season, but for you, those are ways to be able to care for ourselves, for our listeners to care for themselves, for our practitioners, to be checking in to see how many of these are being practiced in their own way so that we don't get to the intervention place. Because the intervention place is, hey, do you feel hopeless? Do, do you have a plan to harm yourself? Do you have a means? Like, are, are, do you have a method? Um, are, are all of those things in place? Because then you're sort of meeting at a moving at a speed faster than any human really wants to be walking. Yeah, it, it's you know, the terminology they use in, in the suicide prevention you know, business is, is like the analogy of a river, up the river. So, you know, someone you're having that intervention with at that moment where you're asking them, are you thinking of suicide? We want to be further up the river with engaging in their community, engaging, whatever that is. I mean, it can be online. It can be, yes. it doesn't, you know, whatever, you know, doesn't have to be in person. Uh, connecting with human lives is, is so different today than it was even 20 years ago. And that's something that older generations need to be mindful and respectful of, of younger generations. They really, I mean, I live with two teenagers. I get it. They're connecting with their friends 24 <laughs> seven. You know, they don't have to go down the street like maybe when you and I grew up to like ride your bike down the basketball court. Watch for the street lights and then right. get your butt back home. Yeah, yeah, exactly it. So, I mean, and, and but the flip side of that, specifically teenagers, is the pressure uh, that comes with looking a certain way, act that social media that's in their face all the time. Uh, you know, that is a, is a real thing that impacts uh, you know, male and uh, you know, young women and young men. So, that's a whole other topic, uh, of course. But yeah, it, it, one of the things that I, how I approach it, it's a, it's a physical fitness side. There's uh, the mental component, emotional, and and spiritual. And those four things, you know, I you know I like to, to, to kind of keep in mind and, and practice my own way. And and when I'm talking with somebody or, or helping them out, that's what I kind of keep in mind myself. Like, what are you doing to keep yourself fit? What are you doing to connect with others? What are you doing to um, take care of your own mental health? And, and where's your spirituality fit into all this? You know, um, you know, I don't, 
push any certain one way, you know, that's we all, you know, in this business, we all stay kind of neutral and allow others to find their own path. But um, it really helps. And again, I think, uh, you know, you, you, I always use it, moral injury, a term I learned because I'm a combat veteran. But when, you know, you talk about morally injurious situations, it can be anything. It, it really can be everyday life. And I think what, and because of how we view the world and, and, and how we see other cultures now because of the use of entertainment. And you can see like what really bad things are happening on the other side of the earth or down your street and you might feel hopeless. And, and that's a morally could be defined, defined as a morally dangerous event. So you know, what, do you, what can you do about that? And, and that's the whole conversation as you know but you know you have to have that connected to your your spirituality in some way and that's really for me that's where uh, buddhism and, and reading about existentiality uh, and existentialism come because those are in my mind always growing up those are the questions why 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 i always had those questions why this why why are we here you know that classic you know philosophical debate and um you know who is the self and what is the self and why does the self do what it does and 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 so that that's kind of where I go down the rabbit hole, but but I just through reading and studying and asking questions, uh, I've gotten those answers, and it's 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 really healing and helpful uh, when I'm out there and allowing me, like you said, do the work that I like to do. Like can't be a truck driver. I was one in the Marine Corps. My dad's been a truck driver for 55 years. I can't do it. I tried. I can't. I've tried sales. Like this is the only thing that, that at the end of the day, you know, I just feel at peace with what I'm doing. And, uh, you know, that's important. I think hearing the, the acknowledgement of who you were growing up and what was that pattern for you, it was, why is this, what is this purpose? What does it all mean? And, and where do I fit into this this sort of really big puzzle and, and you've acknowledged those skills, those areas you can learn more, and then also who you can impact because of the journey that you've taken and what you've learned so far. It doesn't mean that you're stuck there. It means that at this very moment, this is what you've learned and this is what you can give. And when we overlook the power of the steps we've taken, that's when everything starts to feel so big. I often um, equate it to when we keep that thought in our head. And at first it was a very valid thought. Maybe this was dangerous. That was a bad memory. These people were not nice or kind in any way. Um, but then it stays in your brain. You don't share it with anyone. You don't put it on paper. You don't work through it in some way to find some some level of understanding it bounces around in your head and every time it bounces it gets more distorted and then it bounces some more and it gets more distorted but not only is it getting distorted it's hitting other things and then everything is starting to get more distorted and when we're left to our own devices not creating this meaning and not creating this community and not recognizing the strength that we've gained in whatever horrific things we have endured or whatever pressures that we have walked through. Sometimes the pressure of perfection will crush someone far greater than the, the effects of trauma. And 
that distortion by keeping it all inside is what will weigh us into that really dark place. And so I'm, I appreciate the way that you approach things, Lee, because there is the power in community, whether that's inside your house and those conversations you have with the teenagers and the young ones coming up, whether it's walking through these conversations with your spouse, being able to say, man, would we really want to have known each other 20 years ago? Because I know I was a hot mess 20 years ago. (laughs) And I know my husband before me was a hot mess and he'll say it himself. But it's beyond our walls. When we can find those common bonds, I mean, we'll touch in, since we're talking about suicide and mental health, let's touch another sensitive subject. Let's talk about the way diversity is playing such a divisional role within our community. What if we all stopped in the moment and found one common thread with another human that looked, acted, and was raised differently than us? What if we just spent the time it took, no matter how different our beliefs, how volatile our emotions, if we fought for finding that one common thread, we at least had that to hold on to. And that's what I see you walking through each part of your life is you're constantly saying, all right, how do we thread all of these different people, these different groups, these different missions, these different agendas together so that we can collectively move forward and continue to grow. And that's why I appreciate you being here. Yeah, no, thank you. It's, it's my travels over to the Middle East. You know, we got in, when I was there for the invasion in Iraq in 03, we got a lot of time spent with uh, the locals and civilians. And I walked away from there like, they're exactly like us, right? It's just- you know, No one would have ever thought. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's oh, of course they are. You, you, it's kind of naive to think in hindsight, but really when you kind of see them leave for work, you know, you're sitting right outside of their little town or house. You see them raising their kids, going back and forth to work. Um, you know, you're in their way because you're in a big truck. But, you know, you see this living their lives to raise their families, to have a fulfilled life. And you walk away from that, like, you know, what makes us any different? And we're more alike than we are different, you know. Uh, you know, uh, race and, uh, you know, someone's race isn't in their DNA. It's just in their skin color. You know, it's just, it's a, it's a social construct. So yes. to your point, exactly. Like, yeah, we just turn and look at someone, you know, on the bus or I used to ride public transportation a lot. And, you know, and as I'm kind of doing all this reading, I just think to myself like, what? I have more in common with this person uh, who lives on the street than, yes. than I, I never thought I did. And, and then from there you get that, that compassion and empathy for human life. That's kind of removed from you in the Marine, specifically in the Marine Corps boot camp. You know that that empathy for certain other living people is removed from you, and um, yeah, I think that's that's really what I mean. I'm kind of sitting here thinking, like the whole time we're talking, it's that it's compassion and empathy for others. Yep, it's love and compassion for others. That's that's the secret to life. I read that somewhere, like the Buddha was kind of you know, uh, or the Buddha or Dalai Lama. Somebody said it along the path. Jesus. Somebody said it. You know, the the, the meaning the, the meaning of life is just love and compassion for others. Yeah, I think you have that and you, you can go from there. Yeah, you're going to see that across across the board is if you can step outside of yourself to love another person, 
that that was sort of that call on your life go love others and and we're talking about this and so if if we're to advise the professionals who maybe feel a little bit over their head maybe they're oh my goodness this person just gave me a lot and that's not my specialty i'm not a mental health counselor maybe i am i might be the dentist that just happens to hit a trauma point or whatever um what we can do is meet them where they are in that moment with a level of compassion that we don't need to know the whole story. We simply need to be ready to respond with empathy and resource them to the places they need to go. Yeah. Now you hit the nail on the head, Crystal. Like, even if you don't know what to do, show that authentic empathy and authentic care and concern. Uh, for that other human being and like I said if you we don't know all the resource you know, have that big resource list in your head ready to go uh, that's the best place to start what about the person whether friend or professional who has who has that moment and they're just like crystal lee I don't care anymore I am tired I am exhausted I don't have an ounce of compassion or empathy left in me like y'all are you know what you're too good i'm not going to be there uh-uh how would you speak into their heart today yeah. <laughs> that's a hard one and it, it's really as much training as you go through and you think like i got this and then you do a lot of role playing in these in these suicide intervention trainings and and I, you know, walk out of there thinking oh my god everybody wants to take their own lives because you have conversations like that so it's you have a conversation like that, someone's disclosing something like that, you know, to kind of get a litmus test of where they're at uh, for that ideation or planning is you just address it. And like, what you're telling me right now sounds really sad. It sounds like you're in a really bad place. You know, is that true? I mean, you, you never want to say, you're not thinking about hurting yourself, are you? You want to just respond with empathy and, and open-mindedness and, you know, kind of motivational interviewing type skills where you're just showing compassion. And, you know, in that, you know, I have the more, I've had more conversations where I said to someone, you know, are you thinking of hurting yourself or is suicide an option for you? And them saying, no, no, but thank you for asking. Mm. No one's ever said to me, what crazy, get out of here. You know, if someone's really telling you, I'm really having a hard time, I'm just not getting this world. Yeah. And then you say to yourself, well, what are you telling me then? What, where's your mind at? And if they say, I don't think I want to be here anymore. And then you come out and say, are you thinking of suicide? And if they say yes, then you ask about a plan. Then that's where you go into intervention skills training. Then it's about what's your plan and how do I keep this person safe? And usually it's like staying on the phone, staying right in front of them until you know, supportive services, or you can persuade them into going into, you know, some sort of higher level of, of health care in that moment to keep them safe. But uh, just challenging it in an empathetic and manner of you're saying stuff that sounds really sad. Where, you know, where are you at right now? And that could be, excuse me, that could be over text, it could be over phone, it could be in person, um, you know, because you got to think about your own safety. You know, when it comes in the veteran space, we talk, that's why we talk a lot about firearms. So if you're thinking about harming yourself and you have a firearm on you, now we're both 
unsafe. What yeah. that looked like, and that's a whole other conversation. But that's how I would, you know, that's how I, I tell people to respond. Family members who come up to me and say, you know, sometimes so and so, my partner gets really down. What should I do? Come right now and ask him. You know, it's scary to ask. It's hard to ask. It's hard to say to someone, "Are you thinking of suicide?" Oh it's my goodness. <laughs> No matter how many trainings you have, I think I, I wrote that in an article one time. I'm like, I don't care how many trainings you've had. The uh, uttering those words out of your mouth never gets easier. No, and it's, uh, you know, I've had to say it to family members, and that's even harder, you know. And so, you, because once that cat's out of the bag, it's not going back in. But that's a good thing. Because again, I've never had someone say to me like, no, you know, screw you and get out, you know, get mad at me. You know, they know people in our culture, society know uh, that that's a big word that carries a lot with it. And if you're throwing it out there in the universe, uh, it's significant. And then it, it, we've had, I've always had great conversations after that. So not come for it so far. <laughs> so as we come towards the end of our time, one of the skills that I noticed that you display, and it's something that others can learn if they did not grow up in a home um, that communicated well. I know that the first time someone picked me up and said, Crystal, we don't talk to people like that because I just yelled at everybody. <laughs> um, it was an eye-opening experience, but what I'm hearing you say and what you're sort of sharing in this exhibit empathy and compassion style is really just good listening skills using I statements. I hear you saying stuff that sounds like what I'm noticing is I'm wondering if like you're keeping your own feelings, thoughts, and assumptions to yourself and you're inviting someone to participate but you're also giving them the time and space they need to answer. Yeah, it's the exact thing. The last thing you want to do in that moment is, well, you think you're having a bad day. You know, I stubbed my toe. And this person thinking about, you know, taking their life and, and you're complaining about, you know, a broken toenail that could have, you know, dire, you know, dire, uh, you know, what can happen after that can be very bad, put it that way. Uh, so yeah, keeping it, about them and keeping them talking and keeping them engaged uh, and letting them process the, their thoughts and feelings uh, is, is best, yeah. Well, I appreciate that because there's nothing more powerful than having a safe place to open that decompression valve, having it sit there and knowing that you don't have to pick everything up. For those who are like, I don't know how to talk like that. I don't know. Please look up I statements. Look up healthy communication. Um, I tell people, I tell folks, especially folks who are already burnt out and stressed, pick the safest relationship in your life. It can be your dog. It can be your baby. It can be whoever is the most, the least threatening, and say. As, so, for example, for a baby and the baby's screaming their head off and you're burnt and you're frazzled and you don't know what to do. And like, honey, I don't know what to do. 
I have given you this. I have checked your temperature. I have checked your diaper. I have done this. And, and you begin to recognize what you can see, what you I hear that you're still irritated. I know that you haven't slept. There are safe places to practice this I statement awareness, what you see, what you hear, what you can physically touch, any behaviors that you can notice or experience, maybe what's going on within yourself. Um, that is one way you can start to practice this. And clearly finding your own therapist and working through this at a deeper level is important. But if you just wanna practice and realize how much we don't use I statements, <laughs> Start there. <laughs> yeah, that's a, a great example there with the kid. And then even when you go through, I've noticed with the little ones, uh, when you go through that in mind, your your own anxiety lessens. And when you're holding, a, especially a small child, they feel that energy. And as your energy lessens, then their energy lessens, and that usually has positive results. I'm no, I'm no baby expert. <laughs> I'm just saying. I've witnessed it happen. <laughs> You're like, I like the relief I feel when I do these things. Yeah, so let's stick exactly. with that. Really selfish. <laughs> so if there are organizations in this 15 counties in Northwestern Pennsylvania that would really like to learn more about the topic, mm -hmm. get involved with this grant project and really dig into the subject and not let it be just something they're saying, but something they're really investing in? Where do they go? How do they get involved? Uh, the, the best way is uh, our website, uh, which is you know, updated daily. And I know a lot of places say that, but there is like a whole communication team. It's a big part of our outreach plan. Uh, it's, uh, it's called the resilientveteran.org. Uh, that's all one word, uh, the resilientveteran.org. Uh, and on there, there's subjects, uh, you know, for veterans, families, healthcare providers, uh, counter events, how to contact us, how to get involved. I can give, uh, you can put my, uh, you know, uh, my email is lew146 at pit.edu. People can reach out to me directly. I'll get them moved in with our team. Um, I am on the, what they call the implementation team. So you know, kind of more of the, me and myself and the, the four people on our team are more of the face of the pro project, but there is a, a whole whole team of researchers and professionals, you know, building out the programming and evaluating the data and everything. Uh, we happen to be the lucky ones that did go into the field and meet the people and do the training. And uh, and for me, that's, that's very exciting. That's one of my strong suits. So, um, but yeah, that website has links to our social media sites. Again, everything's updated. Uh, on the regular. And from there, if you go from there, that's the best. And reach out to me directly um, with any questions, conversations, whatever, whatever they want to do. I, I love the subject. Um, I don't mind talking about trauma. I don't mind talking about bad things because uh, uh, we all have them and we all should uh, have a safe space, as you said, to, to talk about that with somebody. And counseling is, yeah, I'm a big advocate of therapy counseling and uh, I mean, everyone in their entire life, everyone who's ever lived could stand to have uh, at least a few sessions of therapy. <laughs> it's very beneficial. For sure. Absolutely. I tease. I'm like, even counselors need counselors. Don't oh, you fool need, yourself. <laughs> they need it more than anybody else. 
Right. <laughs> yes. So with those wise words, reaching out, getting, getting resource, not being afraid of the growth process, Lee, are there any, any final words to pass on to those listeners who were like, I just needed to know that this topic wasn't as scary as it felt? It's not scary. I think we make it scary. You know, we, we're, as, as human beings, as the animals that we are, we tend to make things a lot worse. Like my mom used to say, um, make mountains out of molehills. And uh, I think we do that a lot. And this is a subject we, we do it, not to sh- make it any less important, but uh, take that stigma away from, uh, from talking about it. And, and one thing I always like to share when I do teach yoga class, because I'm a yoga teacher, is I always end every class with, be kind to yourself, be kind to others. Uh, and you can think about that even when you're sitting in traffic in <laughs> Pittsburgh or in the line at Walmart. Uh, you just try to be kind and be mindful of, 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 of that kindness. And uh, that will allow you to be, create that safe space when needed. We actually ask that question around the dinner table each night with our six-year-olds. And we yeah. say, did anyone do anything kind for you? Yeah. And he'll be like, No. And we'll look at him and he's like, ah, okay. So he'll think. And then we're like, did you do anything kind for someone else? And the first thing he'll throw out is, well, he did something because some so-and-so was going to do something for them. And we're like, no, not a quid pro quo, not something in return, but did you do anything kind without ever thinking anything good was going to happen back for you? And it really challenges him to work through the way he moves through instead of manipulating his environment, but to really just be a generous mindset, that kindness to others. Hmm. I like that a lot. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really, especially with that age, that's really cool. That's, that's really cool to do that. So I appreciate your closing in your class and all of the wise words that you've shared. I will put your email in the show notes as well as that website so that anyone who is driving and listening is not causing themselves any further harm (laughs) or risk. Check it out later. Exactly. We will get that there for you. Um, Lee, it has been awesome to have you. Thank you so much for joining this podcast. Thank you very much, Crystal, for the invitation. And I always enjoy our conversations and glad to share with others. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. Listeners, thank you so much for taking this time to navigate this topic and really hopefully soak in some ways that you can be caring for yourself as well as being more mindful to be caring for others because there's nothing in this world that doesn't feel like a challenge when it's not understood. And so I'm so proud of you for making it this far. And I'm excited about the mountains you'll overcome that looking back feel a lot like molehills. Thank you, everyone. Have a great day. Thank you for joining this Crystal Conversation, the place where stories of growth and resiliency are authentically shared in order to encourage and equip you to own the value of your journey. If you've been inspired or learned something new, please feel free to share the love and tell someone about these crystal conversations. If you know your helping health or human facing organization or group would benefit from growth-minded resiliency content, stop by crystalmcfadden.com for more information. And once again, this is Crystal McFadden reminding you 
that your steps matter and thanking you so much for joining me during this crystal conversation.